movie. Ray, can you put that first picture up for me, please? <clears throat> this picture is from a movie, and it's, uh, it was called Fight Club. You got it in there? All right. So Ed Norton, Brad Pitt, how many of you guys seen that movie? Amen. How many of you saw it before you were saved? All right, praise the Lord. You can't be watching that kind of stuff no more. <laughs> but I remember this movie, and if, if you remember this scene, Brad Pitt and Ed Norton are fighters, right? They, they, they started this thing called Fight Club, where they go around, they beat each other up. It's bare knuckles. It looks a lot like the UFC looks today. And they're, they're conversating on a bus. They're, they're riding together, and they see this billboard, right, the one that's behind them, of this man. He's in his underwear. He's all cut up with a six-pack. And they're talking to each other, and they say, is that what a real man looks like, right? Because there's the picture of what a man should look like and how healthy it should be and how they should have this six-pack. But these two men have a different understanding of what it really means to be a man. They're like, man, we fight with our hands. We bleed with each other. We beat each other, and we keep getting up. We keep coming back week after week, and nothing stops us. So are we men? Look, at, we might not look like much when we're on this bus, but who's the real man here, this picture, or is it us, they say, right? So I thought about this as I was looking at uh, what I'm sharing with you guys this morning, and I thought to myself, well, the next stage of that, what I can picture in my mind, is standing next to Brad Pitt and standing next to Ed Norton would be a Christian man or a Christian woman, and they'd be looking at these two and saying, is that what real strength looks like? Because they can fight and because they can wrestle and because they can continue to get back up day after day. But if they're not doing that according to the will of God, they're not quite as strong as they think they are, right? So that may not be what a real man looks like, but that's not what a real fighter looks like either. You this morning are what a real fighter looks like. You this morning are what real strength looks like. But like we talked about in our vision series, a lot of that has to do with perspective, right? I came in here yesterday, we were cleaning, doing some different things, and Isaiah was here, and he talked my ear off about 10 minutes about Conor McGregor. He's the, he's the uh, UFC champion right now, and, and he's all in love with him. He's posting quotes all over Facebook and stuff. And you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, dude, you're more of a man than Conor is. You fight harder than Conor does. I bet you he's taking at least a few days off. You don't take no days off, right? You've got little brothers that can look up to you. You ain't on TV running off at the mouth just because you can fight. Is this what a real fighter looks like, or is this what a real fighter looks like, Right? In Psalm chapter 29, verse 11, it says, the Lord will give strength to his people, right? It doesn't say 24-hour fitness, <laughs> right? It doesn't say 15-pound dumbbells and push-ups. It says that the Lord will give strength to his people. If you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not quite as strong as I'd like to be. I'm not as healthy as I'd like to be. I, I don't look maybe the way that I think that I should look. I'm telling you what the Lord says is that you can be strong, but your strength comes from the Lord. In John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus said this, My kingdom is not of this world, but if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. You want to fight like this, or do you want to fight in the kingdom? Right? You want to be able to, to, to throw them with whoever comes at you, or do you want to be able to really throw them with the enemy, with the devil when he comes at you? Right? Our strength comes from the Lord, and he'll teach us how to fight, that we would be able to win. Somebody say amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we're here in your house, Lord God. We thank you that if we're weak, we can find strength, Lord God. If we've lost battle after battle, Lord, we can come to you and we'll be able to fight and find victory this morning, Lord God. I ask that you would help us to see strength, Lord God, that you would help us to see what it really means to fight this morning, that we would be able to know who we are when we go out into this world, Lord, that we would not compare ourselves to other men and to other women, Lord, that we would not look at their abilities versus our abilities, Lord God, that we would really evaluate things according to your word and to your will when we determine who is strong and who is really fighting. We ask that you would have your way over each and every one of us this morning, that we would enjoy our time together, Lord God, but that whatever you desire to do in our lives, your will would be done, Lord. If you want to convict, if you want to encourage, Lord God, if you want to challenge, Lord, or if you want to comfort, whatever it is, we just want your will to be done here in this place this morning. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So as I started this morning, we were looking at individuals, we're looking at strength, who can hold this up the longest. But this morning, what I really want to talk to you guys about is team. Say team. team. So today we're going to be fellowshipping, we're going to be watching the Super Bowl, right? And who, we already said who we want to win, 
But as Christians, <laughs> who do we think should win? Is one team more Christian than the other? How would we evaluate that? Who should win according to God's will? Why? Because he created birds or something? Why, Why the Falcons? No answers, huh? I would say, what about whichever team prays the most? Right? Shouldn't they win? They should enlist the help and the will of God. Here, here's, here's the challenge with that. I got a, got a couple other pictures for you, right? It's the Falcons for sure. Look at them. They're praying. They're holding hands. They're on the field. God loves the Falcons. We got off the freeway this morning, and literally there was a falcon sitting in a tree, and we said, it's the will of God. We see it. <laughs> We were trying to figure out who we were going to root for, right? And Naomi, she's the only one that said the Patriots, and we said, why? She said, because Miss Amy said she won't be my friend anymore if I don't go for the Patriots. <laughs> so we were laughing. It's like, you got to be diehard for your team. It's all right. But we converted her. I said, there's four of us, girl. <laughs> You're rolling with the Falcons, if we're going to go with the Falcons. But now look, the Patriots are praying too. We got a problem. If they're praying, right, before the game and after the games, and then the Falcons are praying before the games and after the games, who is it that God wants to win? This morning, I want you to consider that God is more concerned with the actual teams than he is with whether or not they win or lose, right? He doesn't care if the Falcons win or if the Patriots win, he is concerned with their teams. The same is true in our lives. God uses the game or uh, this world to work certain things out in our lives. It's not the game that matters most. He wants to do something in your individual lives and in our community that we call the church, and he uses the game or he uses this life as the backdrop to do those things. What we like to focus on is the game. And God's focused on the team. We like to focus on this world, and God's focused on your life. There was a wise woman. Her name is Rosie Perez. She played Gloria in White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> and she had some very wise words, and I'm going to try my best to say them as Rosie would say them. Sometimes when you win, you really lose. And sometimes when you lose, you really win. And sometimes when you win or lose, you actually tie. <laughs> and sometimes when you tie, you actually win or lose. <laughs> Winning or losing is one organic mechanism from which we, one extracts what one needs. <laughs> <laughs> Wise words from Rosie Perez. When you win, you lose. When you lose, you might win. When you tie, sometimes you win or lose, and sometimes when you win or lose, you actually tie. And it says that all that winning and losing, she says, is one organic mechanism that you can extract what you need. What she's trying to say is, if you need to be humbled, you might get blown out, and then you can extract some humility. If you've been losing time and time again, and Brady and his boys keep winning time and time again, and you need encouragement, well, then maybe you might win so that you can extract some encouragement. Say amen if it makes sense. I told you Rosie was wise. Here's the thing. That's a movie, but the reality is this. It's not just some organic mechanism that you extract what you need. What it really is, is God has orchestrated amazing circumstances in the sea of my life and your life that these things that we need are available, but extracting them is not as easy as just, I need some victory, let me get that. I need some humility, let me get that. It's there for you. It's deep in the sea. God has orchestrated. It's not organic, right? It's not some organic mechanism like she said. God says, look, everything all of you need, I'll put it into the sea of your circumstances for you to be able to come and get, but you have to seek me to know what you should be getting. But we want to focus on the game. We just want to know who wins or loses. When we have a mentality of just focusing on who wins or who loses, how can you extract what it is that God placed there for you? Most people, a lot of people won't even watch the game. They just want to get to the end tomorrow and say, who won? There's also a lot of people who just want to watch for the commercials. Raise your hand if you're one of those people. You just want to see the commercials today or the halftime show, right? And God's like, look, you're missing it. Don't worry about the commercials. Don't worry about who wins or loses. 
Be concerned with extracting what I've placed in this situation and circumstance that you would be able to learn and grow and be blessed. Right? If you knew that you're going to win the game of life, no matter what, what would you focus on? Think about that question for a second. You know you're going to win. You cannot lose. Right? Winning and victory is an inevitability. If you know that, what would you be focused on? Think about the guys that are going to be playing in the game today, right? If they knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that they were going to win, what do you think they'd be thinking about during the game, right? If it was me, I'd be focused on maybe every lesson that I could learn throughout the game, right? I'd be focused on all the joy that I could experience during the game, right? Maybe you'd be focused on all the adversity or difficulty in your life that you knew you were going to overcome, right? Imagine if every tough thing that came into your life, you already know, I'm going to overcome this, so I should just focus on the joy and the blessing of getting through this. You know that that's how the Bible describes salvation? It's to know that you are going to be victorious in the game of life, and therefore your focus should not be on the life or the world. It should be focused on all the intricate details throughout the way. That's what it means to be saved, is to know the end already, that you're going to live, that you're going to have eternity, that you're going to have joy that never ends, which means in the middle of your current sea of circumstances and situations, you see it differently than most people would. What does it mean to be part of a team? Say team again. Team, team is when you focus on every person that you could also help to be victorious, right? Right? You already know you're going to win. You already know that you're going to be victorious. You already know that there's no chance of you losing. You're engaged in what's happening to you, the good circumstances, the bad circumstances, the victory of, of overcoming. You see all that. But then when you say, I'm going to be part of a team, what you say is, man, I wonder who else I could help be victorious. I wonder who else I could help see life the way I see it. I wonder who else needs some encouragement. And then you begin to say, and you know what? Not only as part of a team am I going to be a help to them and encourage them, right? Them being my teammate is also going to make me more victorious. My victories are going to give more glory to God because I'm not doing that alone or solo. I'm doing that with a team. I'm doing that with friends. I'm doing that with family. I'm doing that with loved ones. Team is a powerful thing. Team is a powerful thing. You've probably heard it said this way, together, everyone accomplishes more. That's what team means, right? Together, everyone accomplishes more. It's tough to go at things alone, right? It's tough to deal with your issues. I was talking to a, to a friend yesterday. He's been in and out of church for years and, and different things. And uh, we don't see eye to eye on everything. We don't see eye to eye on doctrine, all kinds of stuff. He just knows that there's God and, and so on and so forth. And, and we were talking, and I don't want to argue. I'm tired of arguing with people, right? But what I told him was, you know what we can agree on, brother? You are not meant to go through this life alone. I don't care what you're going through and what you're wrestling with and what you're trying to figure out about God. What we both know is God didn't make you to be alone, we see that in the Trinity. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not even alone, right? The first thing that he did when he created Adam, he had relationship with him, and then he creates Eve. So not only can we have relationship with God, but we have relationship with other people. Then he says, the greatest commandment is love me with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Being alone, is there's no victory in that. None whatsoever, right? But team is hard. Team is hard. I'm going to read this morning from Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to be there for the, for the duration of the message. So if you have your Bible, turn there. If you've got your app, go to Exodus chapter 17, put your bookmark there, and just kind of stay there. While you're turning, I, I see a couple of people here, but whether it's football, basketball, baseball, what's your favorite team? Lakers. Lakers All-time favorite team. So it could be a specific year, specific team. Packers, I heard Packers. Lakers. 96 Bulls. More Lakers. Thank God for you guys. God knew to send the Laker fans here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Steelers. What's that? Indians. Got a baseball fan. There's one. Fullerton Indians. 
So don't, don't answer this question, but, but the next question I have for you is, what's the favorite team that you've ever been on? Don't say it. Just think about it. Your favorite team that you've ever been on. All right? Really think about that. Here's another question. Do you consider yourself part of a team right now today? We should be thinking about this stuff. We're all about to go crazy. We're buying jerseys. We're doing all kinds of stuff, right? Just to support these other teams. Who's cheering you on? <laughs> Who's got your jersey on, right? Matter of fact, let me, I was blessed today because I didn't want to rep for any particular team because I just don't roll like that. Neither one of them are really my team. I'm, I'm focused on the teams themselves and, and the game, but I had a brother come and, and drop me off a shirt today. So I get to play for, for both teams. I'm just a fan of the game. And it was perfect because yesterday I actually went out and I was looking for one of these and I, and I asked the brother, I said, don't you remember when you used to be able to get like the Super Bowl shirt that had both teams on it? And he was like, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> so I thought I was tripping, but then God delivered this morning, gave me a Super Bowl shirt. So team, say team. team. Exodus chapter 17, if you're there, say amen. amen. Says, then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you've brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Stop there, verse 3. Here's the thing, the first thing about team. When we become part of a team, we don't always like the way the team captain is leading us. <laughs> That's just the first thing you got to know about being on a team. You're going to be taken somewhere. You're going to be led somewhere. You're going to have to go through some things that you may not like. It's not always fun. We get to see them on TV today, and they're in the Super Bowl, and they're going to be high-fiving, and confetti's going to be coming down. But they had camp, <laughs> and they had hell week, and they had to go to other stadiums where it was snowing and still play the game, Right? They had to go through a lot before you actually see them in the Super Bowl. The same is true for us. If it was up to us, our team would, like, have practice in Hawaii. <laughs> we'd practice for, like, an hour a day, and then we'd just kick it. I think I might have told you guys uh, uh, that that's the life of a kicker. When I was in college, we had Hell Week. We went to a place called Camp Roberts. We had to sleep in barracks in college, excuse me. And... Um, and we'd be out there practicing. At the end of our Hell Week, everybody lost weight. It was just, it was hell. And at the end of it, the kickers, they played a video, and during the video, what they're doing is we're outside, they, they show outside of us practicing in the sun, and they show inside, and they're playing video games and eating cookies and crackers and stuff. Because they're the kickers, they don't do anything, they just go out there and kick. That's the kind of life that a lot of us want. <laughs> we kind of want to be on the team, but we want the life of a kicker. That's not a reality. The team captain is going to lead us and take us sometimes places that we don't want to go. This team, Moses and, and the people, it says in the beginning, isn't this fitting? It says that the whole congregation or the whole team set out and they were together and they set out from where? The wilderness of sin in verse 1. Literally, they set out from the wilderness of sin as a team going in a new direction. When they left sin behind, what does the Bible tell us? They got thirsty. It's a reality. When we leave sin behind, some of us thirst for it. Some of us long for it. Some of us remember what it used to feel like. In other portions of Exodus, you know what the Bible says? That, again, they're fighting with Moses, and they say, at least when we were there, we had good food. We were slaves. You guys sang a song this morning that said, I'm no longer a slave, or she's not no longer a slave of sin, but he's broke every chain, right? He set us free from all that. And you know what the people say? But I'm thirsty. And I'm hungry. I'll take the shackles back if I can go back to Egypt and just eat what I was eating. That's why many of us turn from God. It ain't the church. It ain't the pastors. It ain't the word. We're just thirsting for sin again. 
And we say, and we know what we're doing. We say, give me the shackles back. Just give them back with that plate of sin. It's crazy, right? They left sin behind. They set out, but they got thirsty. Matthew 12, 43 says this. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it goes through dry places. Say desert. And it's seeking rest but finds none. Then he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. They enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. See, when you join the Lord's team in the beginning, there's joy, right? You get saved. You feel the presence of God. Your sins are forgiven, and you know it. You get touched by the Holy Spirit, and you feel like, man, something is really different about me. There's joy and there's excitement, right? We walk away from the wilderness of sin. We get embraced in the arms of Christ. But then God's team leaders don't always take us where we thought we were going to go. And inevitably, every single Christian goes through dry places and deserts, and they begin to thirst. There are no Christians that don't go through dry places. There are no Christians that don't thirst. I was talking to uh, one of the young brothers uh, just this week at Outreach, and he told me, you know, i just kind of been feeling a little bit dry lately. I was like, man, you've been saved for like two hours. <laughs> How are you feeling dry already? But it reminded me that that's the life. That's the reality. You are going to go through dry seasons. You are going to go through difficult, uh, uh, thirsting type situations where you look up, it's been a week, it's been two weeks, and you're just dehydrated. Any Christians experience that in your walk with God? Here's the encouragement this morning. Don't ever go back. The scripture said that the, the end of that man's life is worse than where he started from. Don't go back. Don't give up. There's nothing good for you back in Egypt. There's nothing good for you back in the wilderness of sin. I guarantee you that. Don't give up on your team. You got a team of people who are depending on you and looking for you. Don't give up on your team. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your church. What is behind you in the wilderness of sin that's worth going back for? You ain't the only one that gets thirsty. So verse 4 goes on to say, Exodus 17. So they're complaining to Moses, why did you bring us out here? We're just going to die. Why did I get saved? Why did I stop doing all this stuff? Why did I stop drinking and sleeping around? Why did I start going to that church? I'm just going to die out here. This life is terrible. That's what they're saying to Moses. So Moses cries out to the Lord saying, what should I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people Take with you some elders of Israel, also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. You shall strike the rock, water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so on the side of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is tough, man. I, I love the word of God because for me, it gives me a lot of encouragement because I read things that happened thousands of years ago and I see that it happens still today. I see that I'm a lot of times the culprit saying things that men and women in the Bible said that they shouldn't have, right? But I also see as, as a leader in many ways like Moses. Moses is like, man, what am I going to do with these people? They're testing God saying, is he with us or not? How do people come to me still saying, is God with us or not? I've seen him with you. You wouldn't be where you are without him. What do you mean, is he with you or not, just because you're a little thirsty right now? So the, the, the scripture right now, Exodus 17, 1 through 3, were about the individuals and coming out of sin and them being thirsty. As we read through from verse 4, it starts talking about through 7, it's focused on the leader now. Say leader. Right? The struggles that come along with leading. Moses asked God, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it, Lord? Help me. And God tells him three things. Number one, he says, go before the people. If you want to lead or if you consider yourself a leader right now, somewhere in the, in the church, in your home, at work, you have to continue to go before the people. When we struggle and when people are frustrated with us and people don't like where they're being taken or they don't like the way it feels or they're tired of being thirsty, as a leader, you don't get to say, well, you know what, I ain't going to lead. You go ahead and do what you want to do. Let's see how far you get on your own. 
Let's watch you crash and burn. God didn't tell Moses that he could do that. What did God tell Moses? Go before the people. Don't stop leading, right? If you're a leader, that's who you are. It's not what you do. You cannot not lead. Go before the people, he says. You have to keep leading. Number two, he said, take some elders with you. We have to surround ourselves with other leaders. If you want to lead and you want to lead well, don't hang out with people who don't want to lead and don't lead well. God said, don't stop leading, keep leading. Then he said, hey, find some other leaders and talk to them. Why? Because they'll encourage you about what you're dealing with and what you're going through. You'll encourage them and you will all be able to lead better. Stop hanging out with people that don't lead and don't want to follow, don't want God. Otherwise, that's what you're going to become. Men who want to be husbands, hang out with husbands. Women who want to be honorable women, hang out with honorable women. People who want to get over their fear of giving, hang out with people who give and watch and see their lives. People who want to stop being addicted, hang out with people who have been delivered from addiction. God tells Moses, it's a simple plan. Don't stop leading, keep leading. Number two, get with some other elders and leaders and do it together. The third thing, third thing that God told Moses was, take your rod. And what that, what's that about? He's saying, remember what I've already done in your past. Remember where you were when I found you. Remember that all you had was your rod, and I used what you had to deliver millions of people out of bondage, right? So he, as a leader, he's struggling. Man, am I doing the right thing? What am I going to do with these people? They, they want to stone me and kill me. They don't like the fact that we've come out of sin, but now we're thirsty. God says, listen. Take your rod and remember what I've done in your life and remember what I've done in their life. They obviously don't remember right now, but you better remember. That's what it means to be a leader. You don't forget what God's done in your life and you don't forget what God has done in the other people's lives that you're trying to lead. They can forget and you remind. They can act like he hasn't done anything, but you give him glory for knowing what he's done. Leading ain't easy. Then in verse six, God tells Moses, after you do these things that I need you to do as a leader, keep leading, right? Get around some other leaders and remember everything that I've done for you. In verse 6, he tells Moses, then you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. Isn't it funny that the thing that the people want, God already has it and wants to give to them too, right? As a leader, remember this. If people desire something that is really according to the will of God, whether that's a stronger marriage, whether that's a better job, whether it's peace, whether it's freedom from addiction, remember that God wants to give them those things. He wants to give them those things, but our God is a God of order. Somebody say amen. Right? He, says, he says, listen, if you're going to lead, you got to lead well. I don't want my people to be, what did Jesus say about the people when he, when he came and he saw the church? He said, man, they're out there like, like sheep with no shepherd. I need shepherds. I need leaders who will lead. So he tells them that. And he says, <clears throat> if you go to the rock and you strike it, water is going to come out of it and the people are going to be able to drink. Why? They'll have their thirst quenched, right? Whatever it is that they're looking for, right? They left sin. They're willing to go back to sin because they think it's going to satisfy. But Jesus says, or God says, keep going forward and I'll truly quench your thirst, right? How was our thirst quenched? By the suffering of Christ and by the blood of Jesus, right? The blood of the lamb and the suffering of Christ is how we are really quenched. Our thirst is really quenched. Everything that we're really looking for, it's not found back in Egypt, right? He's the rock. If you, if you haven't picked that up in the, in the story, right? How do leaders get the blessings upon the people? You go to the rock. Isn't Jesus called the rock? Isn't he our chief cornerstone? And God tells the leader, go to the rock. Go to the rock. And not only when you get to the rock, you just can't come to the rock, right, and water's going to come out. What do you have to do? You have to strike the rock. He tells Moses, get to the rock, strike it in front of the people, and when you strike it, water is going to come out. Why? Because when Jesus was struck for us, living water came out. Everything that we need for our thirst to be quenched came out, but he had to be struck first, Right? Leaders need to know that, right? Leaders need to know who has paid the price for us, who has paid the price for the people that we're leading. Wouldn't it have been easy if Moses just went to the rock and he's the only one that knew and he just struck it and he got all the water he took back to the people? 
And he says, hey, listen, I've got water for you. You're thirsty, I've got water for you. No, but what he did is he brought all the people and he showed them the rock has to be struck and it's the rock that is gonna give you life and give you water. That's what Jesus told the woman at the well, right? She's going to draw water from the well. John 4, 13, he tells her, whoever drinks this water is gonna thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Listen to that. He tells her, if you keep coming to this well, you're going to keep coming. And you're going to keep being thirsty. But if you come to me, the rock that was struck for you, not only will I quench your thirst, but it will become a well inside of you. So anytime you're thirsty, you don't have to go looking. I'll be there already and it will spring up life inside of you. That should be the testimony of Christians. Yes, I thirst. Yes, I'm hungry. Yes, I feel the heat on the outside sometimes because I'm walking through a desert dry place. But I know where the source is. He's already inside of me. All I have to do is seek him and a well of living water will spring up inside of me. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I might not thirst. What she needed was a leader. What she needed was a team. What was she doing by herself at the well? Rolling solo and hurting and thirsty and laboring and lost. Many of us, we have a church. We have a community. We have people who want to be in team with us, but we roll solo. So Moses is leading this team. He goes before them like he's supposed to. He sets some team captains around him like he's supposed to. And then he, he went to the rock, struck the rock, living water comes out. They leave sin behind. Even though they struggled with thirst, they had a good leader. Somebody say amen. Their, their thirst was quenched. They left sin. They were thirsty, but their thirst was quenched. But then what happens? Everybody say, and then. It ain't just about joining the team. It ain't just about leaving sin. It ain't just about the fact that you're going to get thirsty. And it ain't just about the fact that the rock is going to meet your needs and quench your thirst. After all that comes the battle. <laughs> Say the battle. Oh, you didn't think there was a fight? Oh, I'm sorry. We didn't tell you got a fight. Right? You didn't sing a song this morning that said there's an army rising. Oh, you thought it was just like a fake toy army? We sang a song, there's an army rising up. That means that there's a battle. That means that there is a fight. It ain't going to be easy. Verse 11, or excuse me, verse 8 of Exodus 17 says this. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Stop there, verse 11. First thing is, it's the same plan. Say same plan. It's so funny, once you know the plan, you can like apply it to so many areas of your life, right? There's about to be a fight, there's about to be a battle, and now Moses has to give Joshua some direction. Joshua's like, what should we do? We see him coming, there's about to be a battle. Moses says to Joshua, choose some men and go out, right? Get some team captains. We got an army, we got millions, but you know what I would do if I was you, Joshua? I'd choose a few like really strong ones, some really good ones, some leaders, get with them. Isn't that what God told Moses? He said, get the elders. Don't just go get anybody, get the strong ones, get the ones who know me, get the ones who are faithful, get the ones who sacrifice, get those elders. Those are the ones you need around you, Moses. And Moses tells Joshua the same thing. You're about to go to battle, don't just go get any of the men. Go get some particular ones, right, he tells them. Then the same thing that Moses did in order to find victory and water for the people, he took the rod, right? He does the same thing here. He tells Joshua, listen, you're going to go, you're going to fight. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remember all that God has done for us. I'm going to remember everything that he brought us through. I'm going to go up to the top of a hill, and I'm going to raise it up to him and say, God, you've done it before, and I believe you're going to do it again. That's always the plan. When you're going through something, if you are not standing on the top of the hill crying out to God saying you've done it before and I believe you'll do it again, you're missing it. You're not executing the plan. You can be hurting. You can be frustrated. You can have some fear. You can have some problems. But the answer is always the same. Go to God and remember what he's done for you. 
in your struggle this morning, whatever it is, do you picture yourself on the hill with the rod raised high, waiting for God to deliver like he always does? Or are you huddled up somewhere in a cave crying, talking about he's not real and he's not with us? Right? Imagine Moses. He's on the top of this mountain, top of this hill, arm lifted high. His battle, his army is in battle. He can see them down in the plain fighting and battling, right? And he knows this. His ability to lift his hands means life or death for the people that he's leading. Think about that for a second. He sees them down there, and they're fighting, and he knows. His hand is up, they're winning. His hand is down, they're losing. He's saying, my ability to lead, my ability to call on God means life or death for the people I love. For the people that I led out of Egypt, the people that I led out of the wilderness of sin, the people that I led into a desert place where they were thirsty, the people that I called on God for and he quenched their thirst, now they're fighting the actual battle that they were prepared for, and if I can keep my hands lifted to the Lord, they'll win. But if I drop them, they'll lose. Might not seem like much to you, but it means a lot to me. What a torturous situation to be in. What if you look down and it's your wife down there fighting and your hands are getting weak? What if you look down and it's your boys down there fighting, but your hands are getting weak? You know that no matter what you do and no matter how hard you try, your hands are coming down. You're doing everything you can to keep them up. What a torturous situation to be in, to know that you matter, to know that you're called to lead, to know that they're depending on you and you don't have what it takes. Man, if you've never been there before, I have. When you know people are depending on you and that they need you and you do not have what it takes, it's torturous. Right? Your arms are beginning to fall. I need my two uh, volunteers back up here. David and uh, Joe, could you come up? Go ahead, grab your weights. Grab your weights. <laughs> it's hell week. We in two a days, fellas. I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to ask you to, to lift them. You keep them right there. So, so Moses is on the hill. His arms are, are falling. And this is what it says as the story goes on in verse 12. It says, but Moses, his hands became heavy. So they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Go ahead and lift up your arms, fellas. Go ahead and put that out there to the side. There you go. You're looking good. You're looking good. <laughs> the battle is on. Look at your loved ones who are here. Look at your family. Look at your friends. They're fighting. You cannot drop your arm. You cannot let this down. They're going to die. You're going to be standing here. You're going to be fine, but they're going to die. They're going to lose everything. <laughs> He needs some help, bro. Let me get this chair. Stand up. Stand up. Put this under him. Let him sit in that. Let him sit in that. Put it behind him. Hey, man, her, her, he needs you. Get under that arm. Get under that arm. Hold it up. Hold it up. There you go. Hold that arm up. Don't let him come down. Hold that arm up. Man, isn't it nice to have a team? <laughs> isn't it nice not to be alone? Isn't it nice to know that there's other people who don't want your loved ones to die and to perish? Don't you feel like you can make it? Don't you feel like you can survive? There's no reason to roll solo. And what did it say that, that uh, in the scripture? Oh, yeah, you're dead. Your family's dead. Everything you love is gone. Everything you wanted is lost, right? Moses' hands, keep it up there. Keep it up there, that last verse. The one where you were there is Moses' hands became heavy. They took a stone and put it under him. He's sitting on the stone. He's sitting on the rock. Christ is the one that, that holds us up and gives us strength. And then our brothers and sisters come around us so that we will not fail. Not only for him, right? Not only for his torment of everybody that he's going to lose, right? Just like Nate, switching teams, <laughs> right? You can switch teams as often as you want, but you're still going to lose. How long, how long can he make it? How long can he go if he's got teammates? forever. He's got family. He's got team, but he needs to know that he's part of a team, right? It's okay for him. He's the leader. It's okay that he can sit on the rock, 
It's okay that brothers will come around him and hold his hands up because they don't just see this as, let me help out David and hold his hands up. They know that David is called to lead and he has a family that's depending on him to lead well. Amen. Give these guys a hand. You guys can sit back down. Everybody say team. team. Everybody say team. team. This morning, are you leading or holding up your arms for anybody today? Did you know there's a battle? Do you consider yourself a leader? Do you know that somebody is probably, even if you don't think so, somebody's looking at you and expecting you to lead? It ain't about coming to church, church. <laughs> it ain't about just escaping sin, church. It's not even just about having your thirst quenched, church. You're supposed to be part of a team. You're supposed to be leading. You're supposed to understand how important it is to keep your hand lifted high to the Lord, saying, I remember who you are and what you've done. Are you allowing yourself to be led? Bible says to consider those who lead you, right? who are in positions of authority, and allow them to do that with joy. Imagine this same man with his hand held up high. The family may not like the direction they're going. They might not like how it feels. They might not like the things that he has to say. He's got a team around him. They're holding him up and encouraging him. But imagine that same man and his wife is constantly tearing him down. And his kids are constantly complaining about not having enough. And they're constantly complaining, well, if we didn't tithe, if we didn't have to go to church every Sunday, and he's like, I'm standing in the gap for you to have eternal life, and you won't even let me lead you. Not only will you not follow, but you're trying to tear us down at the same time. How many of you are part of a team, and you won't even allow yourself to be led? Not only will you not allow yourself to be led, but you're damaging the leader who is trying to help others who are willing to be led. Man, if we could open our eyes and see what we're a part of. How many of us are willing to hold somebody else's arms up? We might say, look, I want to follow because there's some covering in that. Or you know what? I'm not a follower. I want to lead. But I ain't going to be somewhere in the middle where I actually have to help somebody else and hold their hands up. What? Be a children's church teacher? I ain't holding up the leader's hands. And I ain't going to follow as they give us direction on what we should do. That ain't about me. What? Outreach? I don't see Junior's handout and the people that we're trying to reach and bless. I don't see that. So not only am I not going to follow when he's asking somebody to follow, but I also ain't going to help when he's asking somebody to lift his arms up because he's getting tired, because he's been doing it for years. See, but if we knew that the team we're a part of is special, we'd be repping that team. We'd be buying those jerseys. We'd be buying those tickets. We'd be telling everybody why that's the best team, all right? How many of us are even willing to fight? All right, somebody's down there battling. <laughs> somebody's down there actually fighting. They recognize that their connection to the man that's on the top of the hill who's connected to God has something to do with their ability to fight and be victorious. Man, I'm telling you, church, these are not just stories. These are not just old wives' fables. This is a blueprint for how you and I are supposed to live, right? This is, this, is, this is the difference between telling everybody that you're a Christian because you go to church and you're doing this. The word of God is the difference between that and doing this. Because this is the will of God. This is how he said it should be done. This is the rock that I need to sit on. This is the people that need to hold up my arm. There's a difference. You have to have self-evaluation today. You got to know which role you're playing and if you're playing it well or not. You got to know when we leave this place. Moses knew, and this is how the, the scripture ends in uh, Exodus chapter 17, verse 14 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book. Say the book. book. You got your book? <laughs> this is the book he's talking about. When he's, listen, when he's talking to Moses, the book hasn't been written yet. But he's telling him to write the book. Why? Because he knew that we would be here reading the book. Y'all ain't ready today. 
Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. Joshua was the one down there fighting. Moses, God says, Moses, write it in the book. And when, and when Joshua comes back because he's tired, because he's bruised, because he lost some friends and some family, tell him. Remind him who we are and what we've done. He says, I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek. He says, every enemy that you have, I'll blot them out. It'll be as if they never existed, but you have to do it according to my word and to my will, right? I'll blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Imagine when you have those victories, you have that time of overcoming and you're focused on it because you know you've got heaven, but right now this personal problem and drama, when you get the victory to be able to look back and say, it's never going to be a problem for me again. Why? Because the Lord has sworn that he's going to blot that out from generation to generation. If they ever try to come against me again, he'll strike them down. So what does Moses do? He builds an altar to honor God. You know why? An altar that you see him through the scriptures, it's like God did something right here and I'm gonna build an altar to be able to say this is the place it happened. How many of you have just some amazing altars in your life where you just get to go back and say, I remember this was the spot. This was the day. These guys are gonna play in this game. I don't know what stadium they're playing. Anybody know what stadium they're playing in? What city it's in? In Houston, right? Neither of the teams play in Houston, but I guarantee you, whoever wins the Super Bowl today, every time they come back into Houston Stadium, you know what they're going to say? This is where it happened. Right? This is where it happened. It's not even their home field, but this is where it happened. The most important victory of my life happened right here. My mom was sitting there. My cousins had those tickets. I remember the announcers were sitting over there. They remembered. That's what Moses is doing here. He builds an altar and he says, it happened here. We're in transit. We haven't even made it to the promised land, but I'm going to remember this spot because it happened here. Then Moses says, takes out a flag, puts it in the ground on that spot. Bam! And the flag says, the Moseses. <laughs> right? Isn't that what the flag said? The, the Moseses. Team Moses. <laughs> the staffers. No, he puts a flag in the ground that says the Lord, and then he says what? The Lord is my banner. The Lord is the team. It's not the Moseses. It's not the Falcons. It's not the Patriots. The Lord is the team. He gets the flag. He gets the glory. And our altars, it shouldn't be, oh, man, Vaughn did it. <laughs> oh, man, Vanessa did it. The Vanessas. When we do have victory, in more than word, we're supposed to say all glory to God, right? All glory to God. It's his team. It was his plan. He gave the ability. I wouldn't even have had the rod if he didn't give me the rod. I wouldn't even been here if he didn't part the sea. The people wouldn't even have made it because they'd have been thirsty if no water came out of the rock. We wouldn't even have had a place for the leader to sit if it wasn't for the rock. He's the one that sent the help to hold my hands up. He's the one that prepared the people to actually fight who went down there and fought. So now that there's victory, here's your altar, Lord, and here's the banner that says, the Lord is my banner. I have nothing to do with this. All glory belongs to you, God. Say team. Earlier I asked you who your favorite team is. And then I asked you if you're part of a team and what the favorite team that you've ever been a part of. This morning, for me, I can tell you without a doubt, and it's not because I'm the pastor of this church, this is my favorite team. It's my favorite team. I've been on, I've been on a lot of teams. I've been on a lot of teams. I started playing sports when I was like four years old, five years old, played football all the way through college and then into some a little bit after that. Right? I remember thinking that high school was, was the most fun of all the sports that I played. And you know why? It's because the people that you play with in high school, they're like family. You've been playing with them for years. You know everything about them. You stay the night at each other's house. It's like really special when you're in high school. And when I got to college, I lost that because I'm playing with people I don't know. Within a couple months, you're playing and you don't know these people. They're just random people to you. Some of them are 
at that time, I was 18. I had 22, 24, 25-year-olds on my team, people with kids, people who were married. I'm like, what happened? We're just supposed to be out here having fun being 18. So team began to change when I got there. And then when I got to, uh, to play after, after college in the uh, Arena League, it was like, it really changed because it was a business. You didn't really have friends on the team because you look at the next person, and if you're good... They're going to take your job, which means you do not get a check and your family doesn't eat. So it ain't about team and fellowship and camaraderie. It's about I got, I got bills to pay. So I see it different. When we look at these athletes and we say things like, oh, they make so much money and this, that, and the other, and they should be more concerned with team. Yeah, right. Imagine if you went to work tomorrow and whoever was the best performer got paid and whoever didn't perform well didn't. You wouldn't be talking about let's have one big family, coworker, great time. Your perspective would be different, right? So I've been on a lot of teams and I've learned a lot about team. What I love the most about this team is that we're all invested into life together, that our team captain is Christ, right? I love the fact that God tells us that we don't have to, I don't have to get ahead and make you have to fall behind. Your victory doesn't mean that I have defeat or that I'm losing something. Everybody who wins here, I win too. There's no other team like this team. There's no other team like this team. God's team, the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing like it. And I wish people understood you're not rolling solo. You're not rolling solo. Whether you want to or you think you are, you are not. If you're part of the kingdom, here's the reality. You're either leading, and you may be leading in different areas. You may be leading in the family. You may be leading in the church. But you're either leading or you're holding somebody else's arms up who is leading or you're fighting some kind of battle that matters for the whole family. And listen, if you don't think you're doing any of those three things, you're getting in the way. You're supposed to be fighting, and somebody who's fighting thinks you have their back, but you don't think you're fighting, so they're getting stabbed in the back, and they're getting hurt. You're in the way. You're supposed to be holding up somebody's arms, and you're in the way of somebody who will hold up the arms. You're just standing there. You're supposed to be leading, and your family's waiting for you to lead, and you're not leading, which means you're in the way. That's why things get out of order, where women say, I'll lead because he won't. Kids say, I'll make my own decisions because I won't be held accountable and be told what's going to happen in our home. God set the rules for the team, and he's not going to change them for us. So here's what I want to do for our team this morning. Why don't we stand? And just Isaiah, would you come... <clears throat> Hallelujah, Lord. As Isaiah just begins to, to play for just a moment, would you all just bow your heads with me? Bow your heads, close your eyes this morning. I want you just to think for a moment, again, the things that we've talked about today. Your favorite team. Your role on the team. Whether or not you've been maybe doing a good job and if you really understood what you were called to do and what was going on around you and what other teammates were doing, maybe you didn't understand all that stuff and maybe you've got a glimpse into it this morning. In a second, as a team, we're going to remember our team captain as we go and we, we take communion and we, and we come back to him and ask him to remind us of some things. But before we do that, Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want to ask if there's anyone here this morning that you know that you're still stuck in the wilderness of sin. We're talking about heading out and we're talking about seasons of thirst and we're talking about thirst being quenched and teams being built, battles being fought, different roles. And we're talking about all that this morning, but you know this morning that you are still stuck in the wilderness of sin. You're still in bondage in Egypt. You have not laid down your sin. You have not been forgiven. You have not come to the lamb, the rock, the one who has living water, the one who will wash you clean in his blood. And you feel that burden this morning. You know where you are. The Bible tells us that we know where we are. Other people don't understand and they can't really see it. They can be as close as anybody to us, even living in our home, but they don't really know what you know. This morning, if you'd like to come out of the wilderness of sin, if you'd like to be forgiven, 
If you'd like to come to Christ and get on the road, man, I want to give you an opportunity. I can make you some promises. On day one, you become part of a team. The team members love you. We've been called to love you. We need you. You're not a burden to the team. You're an important part of the team. And I can also promise you this. Your thirst will be quenched. You've been thirsty for a long time. You've tried a lot of different things. You've tried to lift it with your right hand, and you've tried to lift it with your left hand, and you still end up too weak to hold it up. Christ is the answer this morning. If that's you, the heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. It's between you and the Lord. Come out of the wilderness of sin. Come out this morning. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Hallelujah, I see you. Amen, I see you. Anybody else? Picture yourself coming out. Picture yourself leaving it behind. I told you it's going to get hard. It's not going to be easy. There'll be some dry season. There'll be some thirst, but it's the best thing that has ever happened to you. Anybody else besides the two? Amen, I see you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask a, a couple of the, the elders, keep your heads bowed, keep your eyes closed. <clears throat> if I can have uh, Raymond come out of the, the sound room, Miss Mary, if you could come for a second, and, and Gary, would you come? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Those of you that, that raised your hand to come out, to really give your life to the Lord and begin to go in a, in a new direction, it's important what the Lord said was, to grab some elders. He told Moses, get elders. And, and uh, Moses told Joshua, pick particular men. You need leaders to help this process. For those three of you, I've got some elders. I've got some leaders that will help you. I want them to pray with you right now. So heads bowed, eyes closed. It's not about everybody knowing what's going on. But the three of you that raised your hand, would you raise your hand again? Just raise your hand and keep it up for a second. Mary, would you go here? Raymond, would you go here? Gary, would you go in the back there? There's still time. Is there anybody else that knows it's time to come out? Today's your day. You're tired of the wilderness of sin. You really want to make a determination to go with the Lord. Anybody else? Now's your moment. Before we move on, would you raise your hand? Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So now for, for the rest of us. <clears throat> We're going to receive communion. And communion is about remembering the commitment to team. We remember the commitment that God has made to us. He says, I'll die for this team. <laughs> I'll lay everything down for you. You'll never find a better leader. You'll never find somebody to love you more. You'll never find anyone to give more than I'm willing to give. I'll give everything for you. So when we receive communion, we remember that. But also as you come and you take the bread, as you come and you take the juice that represents his body and his blood, you have to remember your commitment to the team. What you're saying as you receive communion today, you're lifting up your rod and saying, I remember who you are, God, and I remember what you've done, and I know that you're not finished. I do this in remembrance of you, your body that was broken for me, your blood that was spilled for me. It still matters. It matters more today than it did on day one. Like we've seen for some here in this place this morning, it's only going to matter more as time goes on. Team Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Luke twenty-two nineteen, it says, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. What an amazing day. What an amazing thing to be a part of. What an amazing team. It's not coming in and out of a building. It's him coming and living inside of you who are the temple of God. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you this morning.
We thank you that we've already gotten to celebrate the greatest team that has ever existed. It's your team. It's your church. We thank you that we're a part of it. Help us to do a better job and to know our role, Father God. Help us to encourage and lift up others, Jesus. We thank you this morning that we get to be reminded of your body that was broken for us, your blood that was spilled for us, that we get to have you taken all the way inside of us to live. The dwelling place of your spirit is inside of each and every one of us. We take your blood today. We take your body today. And we rejoice and we thank you for laying it down for us, God. We ask that you would create in us a clean heart, renew that steadfast spirit within us, give us the strength that we need and that only comes from you. Your word says that when we're weak, we're actually strong because of you. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. You guys are welcome uh, to come. I think Gary's going to make his way back down here, but you guys are welcome to come, receive communion, spend some time praying. I want to encourage you, if it's 30 seconds, if it's two minutes, sit down and as you receive communion, think about the team that you're a part of. The player that you want to be on the team, who's looking to you to lead, who God's called you to follow. Think about some of those things as you receive communion this morning. Amen.